And for the first time this year, we have uh, our two friends, Brian Smith and Errol Smith. G'day, gentlemen. G'day, David. G'day, David. To talk about some unusual stories to do with motoring and transport. And let's start with the first motor show of the year, the Detroit Motor Show. Now, it's held at the very beginning of January. It's absolutely freezing there. The last time I went there, it was under zero degrees. It was certainly not the thing you went for a walk at night to have a look at the local scenery. Now, it has things from a Merc that steers itself to a potentially a new Holden sports car. Uh, there were lots uh, to like and one of the world's most influential car events, they claim. But I do point out, gentlemen, that the CES, the trade show for consumer technology, probably produced more stories about cars than this actual motor show did. <laughs> maybe, they, uh, maybe they're doing something wrong, David. <laughs> they could be. Now, the uh, interesting thing is, at the Detroit News, the, the heart and soul of the newspaper world in Detroit, made a point that they picked their top 10 and it didn't include the Turbo S Porsche 911. It said that car has 5 zillion horsepower and goes 205 miles an hour. Ho-hum, so what's new? Gentlemen, do you think we're maturing with our cars, that we're no longer just the, I've got more horsepower than you, I might have a broader view? David, I think if you watch any car ads, no. Um, I think it's still, <laughs> it's still incredibly... <laughs> the same speed feelings nonsense that uh, has been going on. I, I look at this thing and I wonder, you know, where's the revolution? This, the, the world is changing in incredibly rapid ways. And yet, um, look, if, if evolution was as slow as the car industry's response to things, look, we'd all still be crawling in the mud, I think, uh, on the edge of the uh, ocean. Well, one of the things is that they're trying to make ordinary cars look sexy. Now, you take the Chrysler Pacifica. Now, this is a what we would call a people mover, what the Americans might call a minivan. Now, Chrysler invented the minivan many years ago, 40 years ago, in fact. Now they're redefining it. They claim it is slick and good-looking. It has more tools inside than a Swift's army knife. Versatility, including a console drawer for your iPads. It's funny, David. I've been waiting for the car industry to start making more practical vehicles. This one, strangely, has a vacuum cleaner. I'm not sure what, the, uh, what an integrated vacuum cleaner has to do in a car. But, but uh, you know, this practicality of things where, you know, everyone's got a mobile phone and they need somewhere to put it so it's safe where it won't slide around. Kids have iPads. People travel and want to entertain their children with screens. You know, the, the, it's, it's, it takes so long for the aftermarket industry to be integrated into, into cars. But... At least this car's having a go, having a red-hot go, as they say. But, but uh, look, I, I think most of them are, are still just your run-of-the-mill uh, cars that look increasingly like each other. Mm, and, often, and often they're made from the same base, just sold mm. under different brands. Uh, I, I think the, um, the Cadillac, Cadillac does have something going for it, and that is it's apparently got 30-way adjustable seats. I was wondering, what can there possibly be thirty different ways to adjust? I mean, does it does it massage you while it's making you breakfast? I, I don't understand. <laughs> You've got to get one of those, uh, like a uh, a consultant to help you set it up, just for you, I suppose. And then if if the kids move it or you or you have to put the seat back for some reason, then you you might have to call them back in again. There's two things will happen here. One, for me, it'll break down because it's technology, <laughs> and I have that problem. 
Uh, two is if you want to adjust it, you're going to have to log in, give it a, a password and make five, push five buttons merely to get it to recline. The, the other way, though, it might be for 30 ways is it might be coming more like a business class seat on an airline where given that we're going to have automatic cars, it might recline to a full bed, stretch out. And then when you wake up in the morning, you can do the vacuuming. <laughs> Now, we've talked about utilities. Honda has come out with the Ridgeline. And the thing about it is that it's not based on what Americans call a pickup. It's not based on a truck-like frame, which is ways of making solid cars. It looks like a bit more of what they might call a unibody, a monocoque uh, arrangement to it. Is the next push to really try and make utilities feel like an ordinary sedan. I don't understand this one, David, because they... They've made a point that it's not based on a on a pickup frame, you know, typical H frame or whatever. Um, but they've gone out of their way to make it as truck like as possible. That's right. So why did you bother? <laughs> well, look, I think it's just reinventing something that's already there, which is the crew cab Ute. I guess there's it's not intended to carry a big load, though, is it? It's really for a, a contrived vehicle for people who want to look like they've got sort of a, a truck-like ute, but it's really just a sedan with a, a kind of an open back. It's even got a boot underneath the tray. Well, the nice thing about that is you might be able to store things safely in there. Can you lock the boot? Yeah, I believe so. I, I believe it's uh, under the bed of the pickup. I had just given back a Hilux, all you had a bit of a drive of it, the Toyota. The thing is that if you leave your computer in the car, everyone can see it. There's actually no concealed area yes yes yeah there's no nowhere in the in the vehicle to put anything you know hidden except like well, the glove box it's fantastic because it combines the um poor utility for a family vehicle of utilities with um inadequate truck-like carrying characteristics so it's not going to do mm. either thing very well is it <laughs> It's the worst of, worst of both worlds, is that yes. what you're saying, Brian? Yes. Brian, you're saying it crosses all the boxes. Yeah, instead of t- <laughs> <laughs> that's very good. Instead of ticking them, that's right. Or puts a question mark in there. Not applicable. None of the above. Now, there has been a couple of uh, sporty cars there, and I think they're moving away from the Ferrari wedge shape or the McLaren or even the Lamborghini wedge shape into the more uh, sort of rounded sort of shape of it. I refer to the Lexus LC500 Coupe and the Infiniti Q60 Coupe. When you look at them, they're a little bit more like an Audi TT, but a bit bigger in that sort of rounded sports car shape, particularly the back of it, which is really getting not the back of a wedge, but more the old fastback sort of look. Mm. Yeah, Do you like them? Yeah, look, I, I think they are showing a sort of Maserati influence for mine. They're, they're all moving towards this sort of low, purposeful-looking quasi-four-door car because uh, they're not – yeah, I think you're right. They're not, uh, they're not trying to look um, like a super sports car. Do you think it's an influence of Tesla? I mean, Tesla, when they dropped their first car on the market, it was very much in the sort of Maserati mould of a, a large sedan-style car that's low and wide. I think that's the point. I think that's uh, put them all on notice as to the, the looks and, and features of the car. I still think the grille on the, the Lexus, you know, looks like a whale's mouth. Um, <laughs> Basking shark. Yeah, <laughs> except this, this whale, of course, is bright red. No, but it's no, certainly going to eat bugs with great efficiency, isn't it? Yes. That 
<laughs> There's no cliches here at all. Pretty much every sports car is bright red at this show. Yeah, that's right. Um, because they go quicker, of course. And they all um, look alike. You could, yeah, you they could look easily alike. mix them up. They're yes. almost identical. The Infiniti Q60 Coupe, basically it looks like a Z Series Nissan, which is probably because it's based it on is. one, <laughs> uh, with, with the price doubled, of course. There's a hint of Porsche in it, though, in the fastback design, in, in the roof line. It kind of looks like they've got the above the door line from a Porsche, and they've plonked that onto a Z-Series body. I think, David, the bankruptcy of real innovative ideas and, and designs in this thing just parallels the bankruptcy of Detroit as a city. So, you know, it's a, it's a city that built by the automobile, automobile industry and basically went bankrupt. And, and you know, you could probably buy property in Detroit, substantial property for a lot less than the cost of any of these cars. So, Brian, you're basically saying they didn't have any money, so that's why there's no, nothing new here, because <laughs> they didn't have any money to spend on it. I think their uh, their ideas are bankrupt. They've, they've uh, reached the bottom uh, of the barrel for mine. Yes, it's, it's, it's very deep, Brian. There was a real exotic-looking car there, the VLF Force One. It's uh, got a little bit of uh, Bob Lutz about it. He's involved in it, along with the designer Henrik uh, Fisker. Put it together, it's really back to that a little bit Lamborghini, isn't it? Lots of angles and vents and things about it. One of the big issues is it has the world's probably smallest headlights. <laughs> They're mm. LEDs, aren't they? But they can be quite clever. But, David, I think that I'm not sure that the world is is screaming out for an 8.4-litre engine, which this car has. But, Brian, mine's bigger than yours. Oh, that's exactly it's, it. It's, it's 8.4 litres. Refer to my previous comment about positive ideas. Yes. But the, I, I like the Chevrolet Bolt, David, mostly for its name uh, because it's... <laughs> yes. uh, you know, its, it's other electric vehicle was the Vault, and I wondered whether they were going to go with some kind of something you know, more like distinctive. A, well, no, I think what you know the next the next uh, models will they call them the Jolt? I don't know. The four wheel drive version could be the Jolt. It could be the Revolt, <laughs> I guess, for the next version of the Vault. Uh, the Dolt. You know, I think there's a lot. Of, there could be a theme running for Chevrolet here that they might not want to. They might not be able to control. Mm. This is, of course, a plug-in SUV, mini or small SUV. It's basically an electric Barina. Mm. And it's interesting. It is. What... It's based, that's based on the same platform. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting what's happening with these electric cars. With electric cars and the, and the autonomous elements, the industry is desperately trying to maintain the relevance of a privately owned car in a city where there's air issues and, and uh, congestion. And so vehicles like the Bolt are a really interesting attempt to sort of say, look, you know, you don't have to catch the bus, you can be green, you can have something that's still your own car. I think they're pushing uphill against a, a gigantic boulder that is the autonomous vehicle that you don't own um, that's run by Google or Uber or something like that. But it's, it's really interesting seeing what's going on because, um, you know, the prices are coming down and down and whether they can afford to, I guess, uh, sell these cars cheap enough for people to want to continue to own them. 320 kilometre range. So, That's the big issue. That's excellent. But just briefly then, the Audi H-Tron Quattro. I'm quite impressed by this, uh, David. It's, uh, it's This is great because now I can fill up with hydrogen and produce nothing but water vapour. I just <laughs> need somewhere to actually fill it up. To fuel it. <laughs> David, I, I've got to say the one that I, I liked the most was the Mercedes-Benz E-Class uh, because it's, um, its autonomous element 
means if you touch the indicator, the car will change lanes by itself if it's safe to do so. And I think that's a fantastic way to get Mercedes-Benz owners to use the indicator stalk. Well, uh, hang on. I hate that idea because I drive a different car each week. And so I'm constantly mixing up between what is the indicators and the windscreen wipers. <laughs> Every time I go to change lane, the windscreen wipers work, or I, I do many a corners with the windscreen wipers on. <laughs> Errol, you have uh, the story about how we might get a new Monaro. Yeah, well, we, we briefly touched on the, uh, the Buick Avista concept. We could maybe possibly see it on our shores with a Holden badge. The Avista is a GM-designed two-door rear-wheel drive coupe. Sounds a little bit like a Monaro, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> there's just one thing that may stop it ever being considered a true Monaro, aside from it not being made in Australia. No V8 engine. Uh, you can get a twin-turbo V6, but that may not appease die-hard Holden fans. What do you think? It's as powerful as a V8. Yes, but, but David, it isn't one. Talk about the cultural cringe, though. I mean, the, the, the sort of the, the iconic Australian car, our only hope of getting it back is to accept a completely different vehicle, a Buick from America that hasn't got a V8 in it, in the sense it's so contrived that, uh, that Holden's not actually said it's going to happen. Neither will it potentially come to the country or be called a Monaro. But uh, not, let's not stop News Corp from speculating in order to sell a few newspapers. I think Monaro belongs to another era. It's big, it's yes. blokey, it's a V8. Retire it. No, it hasn't got low-profile tyres. It's got high-profile tyres on little rims. I mean, the Mustang still looks like a Mustang, and, and it went through a stage where it was going to look... Well, it got looking small and cutesy, the Mustang, mm. and that was an, an absolute failure. I, I, Holden's got to do something. The new Mustang's out, and apparently they've got orders that make it a sellout. Yeah, the Mustang's selling like hotcakes, and Holden, of course, doesn't have an equivalent. <laughs> At least it's three-wheel drive, I suppose. But the thing is, it's going to be called Buick Overseas. Doesn't that take away from the uh, uniqueness of the Australian Monaro? It's yes, awesome. but David, the, the, where the badge is, is round. Oh, okay. doesn't even look like a Monaro. Well, it's got a little bit of that, as we were talking about in the other story, with that sort of slopey back of um, sort of the rounded. Actually, from the back, it's got almost a little bit of Aston Martin about it. I think from the back, it looks pretty darn good. Hmm. A very, very good looking car. All right. Well, en enough of that. Brian, you have a story of advertising. David, this is a fantastic story. This is where uh, seeing your car on TV is something you'd prefer not to have happen than to have people admire your car. And it's particular if you're a, you're a plumber or a, or a tradesman and your business details are on the side of the car. You might think if you're on national news, this is good. Everyone sees your name. Everyone sees your number. They get on the phone and they say, I've got a blocked toilet. Can you help me? In this case, this plumber in Texas who traded in his uh, old ute with its uh, Mark One plumbing company stickers on the door, his car somehow made its way, the traded in version, his 2005 F250, made its way to Turkey and then into the hands of ISIS or ISIL or Daesh or the death cult and was then seen on um, international television being used by ISIS with an anti-aircraft gun mounted on the back to blow up people uh, in Aleppo in Syria. So uh, unfortunately, the, the people didn't sort of shake their head and say, gosh, imagine this plumber's truck ending up from Texas and ending up in Syria. No, unfortunately... 
he and his company received torrents of hate mail and abusive telephone calls and death threats because people thought that he had sold his cars directly to the ISIS militants. This happened mm. uh, or, or, worse, or worse, given it to them or given something. Given it to yeah. them. This happened quite some time ago, of course, last year, but uh, it's made it back into the news because he's, of course, suing and he's seeking more than a million dollars in uh, damages from the dealership who had promised to remove the stickers from the car before they sold it on. The best part about this, Brian, is that he actually offered to remove the stickers That's before right. he sold it to them, and they apparently they allegedly said that no, don't do that. You'll damage the paintwork. We've got a a better way to remove the stickers. Yeah, but look, I, I mean, where's the upside here? Is that you could say, look at this vehicle. It's in a war zone. It's it's taking a licking and it's keeping on ticking. You could say my plumbing business is as strong as my truck, which is now, you know, getting shot at by. Uh, by <laughs> Artillery. Well, it's got a good point for America. It says, we will deliver even if there are guns about. And our vehicles are desirable. Everyone wants yes. them. Everyone in America wants guns too. So that he, you know, he's showing that he can perform within that environment. I mean, exactly. it, I mean, he is from Texas. So having a gun on the back probably isn't really that uncommon. <laughs> yeah, it is on the inside maybe. These guys mounted it on the tray. <laughs> Perhaps it was there already when he traded it in. <laughs> That's right, the right to bear arms. He may well have had that anti-aircraft weapon that was supposed to have been mounted on his new vehicle. Of course, Toyota on the back of trucks has been said to be uh, advertising for them enormously, the label on the back of the trucks. In fact, they say the Hilux is one of the main reasons for the success of the Jihadists. So... Perhaps this is far too specific. It's a little bit of American trigger communication, isn't it? You see something, you make no conclusion about it other than someone's a baddie. That's right, you've got to have an outrage. Well, of course, the next thing is to say that Obama did it. <laughs> it's his fault. Don't say that a second time, David, or we'll start some kind of meme. <laughs> it's a bit unfortunate, really. He's a plumber, so since it happened, he has really been in the poo. <laughs> Very quickly, I just wonder if there's not a new approach to car theft which might involve either nudity or perhaps even drunkenness. Two stories. One of them is a story in Australia. I think it's uh, from Darwin, basically. A James Russ Ross Munro and a Kane Wiblin. They were two guys who were stumbling along, and I think the operative word is stumbling, and they saw a white car and they realised that two guys were stealing from a service station. They tried to stop them, that didn't work, so James went and pinched the keys to the car. The other one is a bloke thinks his VW Passat is being stolen. This is in Norway. So to stop the thief, he clung to the roof while wearing only his underwear in minus 17 degree temperatures. He went seven kilometres in that condition and eventually broke the back window and got at the driver there who then crashed the car. And so it left the owner a bit bloodied. Is there an anti-car theft thing here that says, A, you should be poorly dressed and B, being drunk will help? <laughs> I've watched the video, David, and it's pretty, um, it's very drunk teenager-ish. Oh, is it? Um, yeah, they basically nick the, nick the, the keys. This is the first they, one? They leave the engine running. Yeah, this is the, uh, the uh, service station robbery. The alleged thieves left the engine running. So the guys just pulled the keys out and basically threw it into the bushes. And, of course, the guys get back in the car and try and escape and realise 
they can't go anywhere and they don't know Lucky where the keys is. So they, just, they get on foot. They're pushing their luck here. I mean, you don't know whether they were armed or whatever. So stupidity on the on behalf of thieves is also a critical criterion. Mm. Yeah, this is sort of the kind of thing that would, would, would be on a show called, you know, Aussies with a Death Wish. Yeah, poor decision-making, I think. Oh, well, you never know. Perhaps it'll become part of a government campaign. Gentlemen, as always, it's been great to talk to you. Thank you for coming back again this year. I do appreciate it. And next week, we're going to talk about what we're actually looking forward to in 2016 rather, or what we'd like to see rather than what necessarily will happen. Again, gentlemen, thanks for your time. Thank thanks you, David. Harold Smith and Brian Smith talking some quirky news about motoring and transport.